This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker Spine and Orthopedic Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Saurabh Palavan, who's an orthopedic surgeon with Venture Orthopedics in California. Dr. Palavan, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Laura, thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to it. It's a great podcast, and I'm very happy to be on it. Well, fantastic. I know we have a lot to talk about, so let's dive right in. Uh, what are the top challenges that you're anticipating in 2022? I think some challenges are new, some challenges are old. Um, I think a lot of us in the private setting especially are seeing an increased pressure with prior authorizations and just issues with um, insurance companies and getting the care we need for our patients in terms of tests, imaging, uh, procedures. So I have a feeling that this is going to be a increasing nuisance and problem for us that we need to be proactive about and try to figure out ways to be effective and also uh, make sure we're communicating the things we want properly. And I think it's going to be something that as physicians, we have to become increasingly aware of. Um, another thing I think that is you know, very important is to increasingly maintain our level of advocacy in terms of what value we bring as physicians, uh, both for our patients and as the and for the health systems as a whole. And I think it's going to be very important to to always maintain our voice and advocacy um, uh, commitments, uh, and to make sure that our patients, um, hospital systems, insurance companies, uh, even politicians are aware that as physicians we are bringing a lot to the table in terms of value, in terms of quality of. Uh, quality of um, uh, of life and also of of cost effectiveness in terms of the care we provide, and then finally, in, in these ages of COVID, I think really focusing on optimizing how we manage elective surgeries. Uh, staffing has become very difficult in the past year for obvious reasons. Uh, our colleagues in nursing, obviously, it's been very difficult for them. They are taking the full brunt of the pandemic, they're truly on the front line. And just being able to keep morale up and to be able to keep um, the workforce going and being able to do the work that is demanded of us with appropriate staffing, that's going to be an increasing challenge in the next year for sure. Got it. I, you know, I think in looking at all the things that you mentioned, um, it's just definitely some interesting things that stood out to me. When you talk about advocating for the value of physicians, and especially when it comes to payers and insurance companies, but I know CMS is part of this as well. How do you really elevate um, your role and you know the necessity of the care that you're giving to patients um, with these organizations so that you can make sure that you've got what you need in order to continue to deliver the kind of care necessary? And I know that part of that is policy-driven, um, by the sure. insurers, but also, you know, looking at pay rates and those kinds of things, just to make sure that um, you're able to continue functioning as an orthopedic surgeon. I, I think it, it does take a multi-pronged approach, obviously. Uh, it always starts with providing great care for your patients. And that sounds very cliche, but it, it is true. Uh, just being able to provide good care for our patients, allowing them to recover from their ailments, but at the same time, also maintaining uh, a strong advocacy arm from our professional organizations. And also, I think, and we will definitely touch on this later, is the new kind of development of, of bringing cost-effective, more vertically managed care um, uh, as physicians and also kind of physician owners of uh, various entities such as 
uh, surgery centers, uh, imaging centers, just being able to show that with physicians taking a leadership role in developing care plans and developing the sites that provide the, this care and doing it in a cost-effective manner, I think it will really, at the, in the long run, open up the eyes to a lot of payers that this is a very good option that should be incentivized, which is not necessarily the case at this time. And I think we will hopefully start seeing a lot more of this in the next few years. That makes a lot of sense and, you know, really sounds like a great vision for the future. Now, when you think about your practice in particular, where are the big opportunities for growth? I think um, for us as an orthopedic group and also uh, spine providers, uh, myself being a spine surgeon mainly, I think of uh, a few things. Uh, obviously, there is this advent of telehealth. It's becoming increasingly utilized. I think that is a very good opportunity for growth, but it's not something that supplants um, seeing patients in clinic. Obviously, orthopedic surgery and spine surgery is included is a contact sport. We do see patients and we like to lay hands on them and, and, and examine and make sure that we're not missing things. That's always going to remain very critical. But I think there are certain aspects of our care that will make it a lot more convenient for patients uh, and also will open up our practices to uh, larger geographical areas uh, with the utilization of telehealth. So I think that is a very obvious and fairly straightforward way for practice to grow uh, in the coming years. Then on top of that, I think one of the things that I'm personally very excited about is the potential of vertical integration um, with uh, private groups and hospital groups even where you have your ambulatory surgery center, you have your physical therapy, you have imaging. And on, in addition to this, you're also adding facets such as case management for bundled care programs, which are increasingly being picked up uh, now with um, CMS and, and Medicare uh, starting to uh, roll these programs out. I think all these things being able to vertically integrate and becoming efficient while providing excellent care, these are excellent opportunities for growth but it does take uh, a very tight organizational structure. It does take investment, but it's definitely something that allows a great opportunity for growth. And then uh, finally, just related to my second point is just waste, figuring out ways to supply cost-effective and patient-centered care, uh, bundle care programs being one of them. Uh, and, and again, that relates to the vertical integration, just being able to increase um, how much care you're able to provide for patients while maintaining a uh, fiscally sound uh, practice. Got it. It looks like there's just a ton of opportunities. And I'm really interested in when you talk about um, the potential for the vertical integration and then really looking at the bundle payment opportunities, how far down the line you know, do you see that as being kind of the way of the world for orthopedics and spine and healthcare delivery in particular? And what kind of investments do you need beyond just the partnerships or creating these ancillary services in order to make the bundle payments and more cost-effective care a reality? So I can only speak uh, from our own experience in our group at Mentor Orthopedics, but there is a, it is a mixed bag overall when you look at different um, programs in different groups. The very important thing is to have a very solid case management team in place that can manage a lot of these patients and to help uh, streamline and optimize and avoid pitfalls. The, how it will develop in the future does unfortunately remain to be seen as these programs are constantly evolving and changing. 
I do believe that it will be a pillar of musculoskeletal care uh, as um, CMS and Medicare, as far as they are concerned. So while a lot of people call it a race to the bottom, I think it actually is a opportunity for groups, uh, small to medium sized even, to grow and to make a, a big difference. And it will turn into savings from multiple areas, both for the patients, for the payers, and for the providers. That's great to hear. Now, while I still have you on the line, I wanted to ask you about technologies as well. What are the most interesting technologies and platforms that you see out there in the market today? So as a spine surgeon, I think if you ask most spine surgeons, they're going to give you uh, a few of the same ones. So uh, I'm not that original, so I'll give you the same ones. I think uh, robotics is a exciting uh, development in spine surgery in particular, also in total joint replacements uh, for orthopedics. Uh, I I do tend to make a joke that everyone around me is sick of hearing, but I will um, give your listeners an opportunity to hear it. I I say that right now with spinal robotics, we're essentially using a Ferrari to deliver pizzas. It's a very sophisticated piece of technology that still is doing a relatively limited task. And I think that with the generations to come with software improvements and firmware improvements and even hardware improvements, we are going to integrate the robot into every aspect and step of the procedure rather than the more limited uh, involvement that has at this time. And also as the fidelity of the uh, hardware and software integration improves and we have more um, confidence in the system, I think it's going to allow us to do even more sensitive and delicate surgeries um, with great improvements in efficacy and safety. So robotics is definitely part of this. Uh, I think other systems to help integrate uh, the operating room with imaging uh, and navigation. There's a lot of exciting technology coming out for this. Augmented reality is one of these things that people are looking at. A lot of these things are still very early uh, and in their infancy, and I think time will tell how effective and helpful they end up being but they certainly are exciting. And as a spine surgeon in particular, I I find the concept of AI and machine learning to be a very promising um, help, uh, kind of a piece of the toolbox. Uh, Spine surgery can be quite uh, challenging in terms of surgical decision-making and patient management because there are so many uh, there's so many factors that go into making your decision for surgery and what to do, and even if surgery is indicated. And I think with machine learning and AI, it will help us really figure out which patients benefit from what and what the truly the risk factors are. So I think that's going to be a very helpful tool. Not not a it's not going to make decisions for us, but it was really going to help us guide our decision making. And then finally, I think um, what is really in vogue right now is the uh, endoscopy for spine surgery. And I think it's a great tool. I think it has a lot of promise. The learning curve is quite steep and not a lot of surgeons are engaged in it. But if we look at the data, we still are trying to figure out what truly the advantage is and where it is most useful. So I think it's going to take a little bit of time to truly see what the final impact of endoscopy is. I think that's really interesting perspective. And I think especially when, as you were talking about earlier, value-based care continues to it's march forward and becomes more important in orthopedics and spine, um, having some of these new technologies and abilities, um, improving where their worth is within the care continuum, it definitely sounds like it would be um, an important aspect of bringing on any new technologies. Yes, absolutely. 
Um, well, great. Well, I think before we wrap up here, I was just wondering, you know, obviously COVID-19 has been on the top of everyone's mind. We talked about it a little bit in terms of how it could transform um, virtual care, you know, in some areas, although that is not something that can be totally done for orthopedics and spine, of course. Um, what do you think is the lasting legacy of COVID-19 on the specialty? Absolutely. Like you said, telehealth is, is here to stay. It's going to be in use uh, in some shape or form. Uh, in the future. Um, it does have its limitations, as we discussed. I think another really big change is the migration of a lot of orthopedic and spine cases to the outpatient setting that we just years ago didn't think would be possible. I think with the uh, advent of great anesthetic techniques with uh, blocks, such as uh, rector spinae blocks, uh, you know, transverse abdominus blocks, things that allow patients to feel comfortable very early on and allow them to ambulate early and, and they can actually go home the same day from surgeries that used to require a several day inpatient stay. I think this has really enabled us as surgeons to do a lot more in the outpatient setting, whether it be in a hospital outpatient department or in an ASC, even with uh, overnight capability. That is something that every one of us has really become much more comfortable with in the past two years. And this is something that's going to continue evolving and continue to be more widely used. So that is definitely a rabbit that's not going back in a hat. The final thing I, I think of is looking back at the potential drawbacks of having, having had to restrict musculoskeletal treatment uh, because of shutdown and elective surgeries and what effect that has had on quality of life and patient outcomes in the long run. I think that's going to be very interesting to see if there was any negative effects from having to pause a lot of these surgeries, because it will really give us an idea of how we need to approach um, medical care in the United States uh, as a whole in the future, what with the debate in terms of single payer and changing uh how things are paid for. I think it's going to really matter to do these, sur these studies on how delays in surgery affected uh, patient outcomes. Uh, Dr. Palavan, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really fascinating discussion, and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Likewise. Thank you, Laura.